Again, excited to see you this morning as we continue to open the pages of the only book in which God reveals himself, reveals us, reveals our condition, reveals the remedy, and reveals the result. Amen? No other book, the Word of God. And so, we're continuing this morning, and I think this will be the last presentation of this. I always have to say I think because sometimes truly the Holy Spirit does say, eh, 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 one more day, one more time, whatever. And so my thought was never to have taken out three weeks for the title, Son of Man. I, I had never thought of that. I, that wasn't a consideration or a thought when I was outlining Matthew, but that's just how the Holy Spirit works. And what I'm hoping here is that when we look and read and hear this title, the Son of Man, we're going to have, as I said last week, an enormously larger understanding and picture of what Jesus was saying about himself through the use of this title. And essentially what he is saying in a way of just a short review, hopefully, is that in the use of this title, the Son of Man, Jesus is saying the two most essential truths about himself, which are what? I am divine and I am human. Now, let's not miss this because on those two truths, the divinity of Jesus and the humanity of Jesus brought together in unity in one person, and in this person is the divine nature of the Son of God and is the human nature of Jesus. And in these or upon these two truths, the entire work of God depends now, we may think when I say that, oh, here I go again. You may, we may think when I say that, that has to do specifically with our salvation. No. It has to do with God's original and continuing creative purpose. For except for the incarnation when the Son of God takes to himself a human body and soul, a human nature, Apart from that, there is no creation. So we're not talking about something that happened in a time frame in the womb of Mary. We're talking about that which has always been the eternal purpose and decree of God himself, that in order to create and then become involved with his creation, God decreed the incarnation, the incarnation in principle in the Old Testament and in reality in the New Testament. And that incarnation continues forever in heaven. Can you say amen? This is big. This is what is tied up in this title, the Son of Man.
And so again, let's get a huge, large, enormous perspective of the work of God and the purpose of God. And so why was it necessary for Jesus to become a man, for Christ rather, the Son of God, to become a man? Hebrews 2, 17 and 18. Therefore, talk about Jesus or talking about the Christ, talking about the Son of God. He had to be made like his brothers, like us, in every human respect. I would put the word human respect. So that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. In other words, to go to the cross and pay the price for our sin so that we could be redeemed. Apart from him doing this, there would be no creation. So, why is this necessary? Well, let's go back a little bit and travel through some of a little bit of Genesis and come up to date and see where we are. Why is this uh, the Why is it necessary? Because when Adam sinned, when did he sin? Genesis three six, and he ate. When Adam sinned, long time ago, long time ago, where were we in the mind of God? Where were we, let me accentuate this, in the mind of God? Not literally, not physically, if you would, although you could say physically if you wanted to extend it, but where were we in the mind and the purpose and the consideration of God when Adam sinned? We were in Adam in Adam. You remember that? We were in Adam. It was our position in Adam that when he sinned, everybody in him and everybody according to the Scripture was in him through the natural generation of inception, you know, uh, what you call uh, when, uh, conception and birth and so on. In the natural generation, every human being was in him. And so when Adam sinned, we all sinned in him. Now, did you notice? I said, in the natural consideration of human conception. Everybody who is conceived naturally as a human was in Adam. Why do I say that? Because one man was not naturally conceived. Are you with me on this this morning? Okay. This means that when Adam sinned, his nature became corrupted and infected with sin. You remember what we said? Adam was created with creaturely weaknesses and limitations. He had to eat. He had to sleep. He had to drink water. He had to do the normal physical things. He got tired. And so, he was created with creaturely weaknesses. He was created with finiteness. He didn't know everything. He did not understand everything. And so, when he was tempted, he decided as an innocent man in whom there was no sin at that point, he decided to sin. Now, that's the mystery of iniquity, which none of us can understand, and so we just leave it alone and move forward. But when Adam sinned, his nature became corrupted. 
His nature became sinful. His nature came under the curse of sin, infected with sin. How much of his nature became infected? All of it. There was not an aspect of Adam's nature that was not touched and corrupted by sin. So that means that on Adam's part, there was absolutely nothing in him that he could do personally, indigenous to his fallen nature, to recommend or to bring himself to God in a healing and redemptive way. Because when he sinned, his entire nature was not only fallen, but it retreated from and ran away from and rejected God in all of the categories of his life. That's what happened. That's what happened. As a result, our natures, and I want to emphasize, and hopefully we're seeing this, it is all about our original position. When Adam sinned, his nature became corrupted. Therefore, what about my nature? What about your nature? All of our natures became corrupted, and we became slaves to sin, and we came under the domination or the dominion of Satan's rule. We inherited not only physiologically and emotionally and intellectually and et cetera, all of the traits of Adam, but we also inherited his sinful nature. Therefore, when we were born, we were born as sinners. Why? Not because what we had done or not done, because we hadn't done or not done anything at that point, but we were all declared to be sinners when we were born, even when we were conceived. Why? Because we were in Adam. Do we get this? Make sure we get this. Romans 5:19. for as by Adam's disobedience, by one man's disobedience, the many, all humanity, were made or declared by God to be sinners. 2 Timothy 2.26, being captured by Satan to do his will. So as a result of our corrupted nature, we lost, as did Adam and because Adam, we lost every and any ability whatsoever to will ourselves back into God's grace. This doesn't mean that we don't have a will that can make decisions, but every decision and every action and every motive and every thought, word, and deed in the natural, because of our corrupted nature, is conceived in and is activated by and flows within the context of sin. So even the fellow who gives up his life to save his friend on the battlefield, if the fellow who gives up his life to save his friend on the battlefield is not a believer being led by the Spirit to do that, and he's not a believer, but he gives up his life to save his friend upon the battlefield, that is not a righteous act.
because it was not done within the context of God-pleasing, submitted, born-again, Christian child of God. Wow. Wow. Do you see how it is? Because what we do even as believers, we look at someone and we look at an exemplary life. Oh, you've done this and you've done that and you've sacrificed that and you, oh, oh, wonderful. And we think, well, there's some kind of way this has to count. Come on. Come on. Anybody in here like that? Some kind of way, Nick, it has to count. Some way. And what is, it is counting, but it's counting for another act of rebellion against God because it's done within the human nature. It's done for humanity. It's done out of humanity. It's done for the benefit of humanity. God is not in the mix. Okay? Now, that's, that's startling, isn't it? May I say, I wrestle with that. Do you wrestle with it? Mike, this is not just some, oh, yeah, therefore. No, I wrestle with that when I see people out in the world, and I have to remember, corruption of nature does not mean that humanity cannot serve one another and do deeds of good things and whatever within the context or within, under the umbrella of fallenness. Is it interesting? There is a there are good acts in fallenness, good fallen acts, but those good acts are not God acts. Everybody with me today on this? They're not God acts. Drop the O from good and you get God. That's the consideration, not whether these acts are good, but Debbie, whether these acts are what? God. And our corrupt nature can produce not even one God act on its own. I must move along. As a consequence of being in Adam, we became children of wrath in Ephesians 2, 3. This means that we were all born with a corrupt, unrighteous nature, morally weak as to the things of God. And our only hope, our only hope is that a righteous God, or the righteous God rather, will move upon us and do something for us and in us in order to change our nature from its original unrighteous and corrupt way into a righteous nature. God has to do something. And this is what he does in the incarnation. When the Son of God's God assumes our fallen humanity. Where does the Bible say he assumes our fallen humanity? I'm sorry. He assumes, sorry, our humanity. Not fallen humanity. He assumes our humanity. Where does it say that? John 1:14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He assumes our humanity as the son of man. Why? Why does he do that? So he can take our fallen nature upon himself at the cross. So where, what verse would I have in your notes? Do I have a Galatians 2.20? 2.20 is one of those sets of verses that you need to know. What does Paul say? For I 
have been. What tense is that? I have been. In other words, Paul is saying something about himself that has occurred already. Have been means past tense. It's happened. For I have been crucified. What's the preposition? With Christ. No, wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait. Let's stop a second. I know that when Jesus went to the cross, Warren, the Apostle Paul, he wasn't even there. I don't know where he was, but he wasn't in the cross with Christ, Jim. He wasn't there. Adrian, he wasn't there. Greg, he wasn't there. Or was he there? It depends upon how you define the word there. He wasn't there physically, physiologically, in a natural sense. But where was he, David? In the mind and the intention of God by the decree of the eternal God forever and ever in eternity, Paul was in Christ. Why? Because God had placed him into Christ before the foundation of the world, having decreed that Paul would be one of his saved children. You see, it has nothing to do with our merit. It has everything to do with God's decree. I, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I, what? I as to my dead natural man who lives, but it is Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself for me. If you don't know that verse, you need to memorize it. That's one of your memory verses. In the incarnation, God was in Christ by the Spirit. Remember? God was in Christ by the Spirit, reconciling the world to himself and not counting their or our trespasses against them. How? How does this happen? How does that happen? How does Jesus' death do that for us? 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake, God made Christ, who knew no sin, remember Hebrews 4.15, yet without sin, tempted in every way except without sin. God, what? Made Christ, who knew no sin, to be Sin. Now, stop. Kenneth Copeland lyingly teaches, as do many of the, what do you call, pro, pro, uh, hype of faith, prosperity teachers. He teaches that Jesus actually became a sinner at the cross. No! Did anybody not hear me? I'll say it again. Jonathan, did you hear me? <clears throat> They teach that Jesus became a sinner at the cross. No, no, no. He did at the cross what the Old Testament patterns pointed to. When the lamb was slain on the day of atonement for the sin of the people for one more year, 
And the high priest laid his hands upon that lamb and confessed the nation's sin upon that lamb. Did that lamb become a sinner? Can an animal become a sinner, John? No. That lamb, as it were, carried our sin as a bearer of our sin so that when that lamb's blood was shed and that lamb died, the picture is that that which he carried to that sacrificial place died with him, in him, represented by the lamb's death. Everything that had been confessed upon the lamb, God considered put to death. Therefore, the sin of the people was put away for another year. You notice I did not say forgiven. It was put away. Forgiveness is at the cross. It is put away until the cross. It's stored up, if you would. Now, it is forgiven in the totality of the understanding of it, but not in the literal time frame. It is put away. I know the Holy Spirit, the, the Word talks about forgiveness in the Old Testament, but the forgiveness is in relation to the work of the cross. Before that, it is put away, and it is not held against them anymore. Jeremiah 31, 34. You remember something like that. Why? Why did Jesus do this? So he became the bearer, this great Shechem. Why do I call him Shechem? Shechem is a burden bearer. This Shechem, this great Shechem, because he's the son of God and because he's the son of man, is able to, as a man, take upon himself the entire burden of all the sin of all God's people. And as the son of God, he experiences that condemnation and that judgment. But Jesus, the Son of God, and even Jesus, the Son of Man, does not himself become polluted with it. He is a bearer of it. And why does he do that? <clears throat> so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ, in Christ. At the cross, God placed our entire Adamic what does Adamic mean? Adam. Our, may I say it again, at the cross, God placed the entire or our entire Adamic nature. He didn't place just 80% of it, 30%, and then you had to work off the rest or whatever. He placed all of our Adamic nature upon Christ. Why could he do this? Because Christ, the divine human, represented us in his perfect, obedient life and then in his perfect, obedient death in the same way that we had been represented in Adam's disobedience in death. Correct? When Jesus lived perfectly, obediently to the law, where were we? Where were we, friends? Where? In Christ. In Him. This is why the burden of what's going to happen if I disobey is lifted from us. Did we literally obey? No. Do we literally obey perfectly today, David? No. 
But in Christ, we literally, in God's economy and view, we have literally obeyed. And he took all the consequences of our literal, in a time frame, natural disobedience and placed it onto Christ and forgave it by the washing of the blood. Amen? 1 John 1, 7. Jesus at the cross by the eternal decree of God before the foundation of the world, Ephesians 1, 4. Placed us before the foundation of the world, before we were even created, right? Into his son. From conception to what? The cross. Jesus worked, walked obediently. How do you, we know that? Well, we know that it says two or three places, but you remember Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 to 8. Obedient even unto death, death on the cross. And then at the cross, we were still in him. So that when Jesus says it is finished, that means the full price has been paid. Whose sin has been paid for? His own? No. Whose sin? The sin of all who were in him. Are you with me? Now, what about everybody else? They weren't in him. Now, this is a category that belongs, as all categories, but the knowledge or the understanding of it belongs to God uniquely. I don't know why everybody wasn't in him. That was his decision. Kelly, do you get that? That was God's decision. But the fact of the matter is that the cross of Christ contains only those people whom God has eternally decreed would be in him at his birth, conception, birth, life, and death. Right? So what does that mean? That Jesus' death on the cross saves everybody in the world? It only saves those who were in him. It's called in some circles a limited atonement. It was able to save everyone, but it actually saved those whom God had chosen before the foundation of the world to put into his son. So, Joe, whose choice was it? God's choice. Was it ever your choice? Never. Was it ever your thought? Did it ever have anything to do with you? If we were in God's economy, forgiven at the cross and justified in his resurrection, Romans 4.15, 4.25, how can we under any circumstance consider to any degree that I had something to do with this? Wendy, where were you? You weren't. How can people say, well, it's because I have faith. Therefore, I call upon the name of the Lord because I have faith. And that's when God birthed me into the kingdom. Are you kidding? We were born again in God's economy at the cross and in the resurrection. Can you say amen? Right, Andy? 
It was applied to us when the Holy Spirit came upon us and birthed us in a time frame. Do we get the difference? Ronnie, you got that? So that means that no one can be born again unless what? We say, and you're rightly so, we say, Donnie, no one can be born again unless they receive Christ. I would say yes and no <clears throat> because my ability to receive Christ is, has nothing to do with anything about me or in me. It has everything to do with where was I when Jesus died. And because I was in the cross, therefore, Jerry, I can say yes to Jesus. Do you understand this? Can we get excited about what God has done in here? You see, this takes away all my boasting. It takes away all my worry about do I evangelize successfully and clearly enough? Have I told them the gospel enough times? Have I given them enough illustrations? It has nothing to do with that at all. Yes, we evangelize. Yes, we share. <clears throat> yes, we give illustrations. But the burden is not there. The burden lies in whom God has placed in his son when he died. Amen? And everyone whom God has placed in his son will be saved. Jesus says, those whom the Father has given me, I lose. How many? Why? Because they were in him when he died and when he rose again. Do we, do we, do we see this? This is why it is impossible that if you neglect to witness to Joe Blow that he won't be saved if he was in Christ. You may lose blessing, but there's no such thing as God's work of eternal life depending upon my witnessing. It depends upon our position in Christ before the foundation of the world. Therefore, when Jesus died, God had decreed that we would be in Christ so that in his death, our old Adamic nature died with him. Why? Because as our divine representative, God credited Jesus' death to be the death of our old corrupt nature. Listen to Romans 6, 3a. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death. Isn't that what Paul is saying? When Jesus died, you died as to your old nature. You didn't die physically. You weren't there. You died as to the operation and the existence over you as to your old nature. That's when you died. That's what happened at the cross. You died as to your old nature of sin, that which controls us and dominates us, and that through which Satan has absolute rule over us because we are of the fallen nature under which Satan is the God of the fallen nature. Correct? I've just reworded 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 for you, or 4.4 4 for you a little bit. Satan rules and reigns in everyone who is of the old nature, but not so of the new nature. Christ rules and reigns in those of the new nature, his own nature in us, correct? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. 
we died in him as to the old nature. We were buried in him. Why does the Bible emphasize burial? Because it absolutely closes the door on any uh, on the issue. Our old nature was buried. And believe me, nobody is able to get that old nature out of that grave. It's a grave that God has put us as to the old nature in, and it will never be opened again. As a result, God credited uh, this work so that when the Son rose, when the Son of Man rose to new life, we also we were also raised in him to new life. When Jesus rose from the dead, we were in him rising to the new life of the new nature. Correct? Romans 6, 4, the rest of that verse. In order that Christ, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so too we might walk in newness of life. In newness of of the new nature, in newness of the life of Christ, in the reality of what God had eternally determined is now ours in a time frame. We have experienced it and say, and I agree with you, I was saved five years ago, January 22nd at 30, 3.30 in the afternoon when I heard the gospel. Okay, fine. But that's the time frame. What about from God's perspective? He created you who were in Christ, us who were in Christ. He created us to be or as his saved people. He created us as or to be his saved people. He didn't create us and then try to figure out what am I going to do with these people. Every one of us are here in this room today as saved individuals because God decided and chose that he would do this and we would be created for the purpose of him saving us, bringing into a time frame that which he had determined before the foundation of the world so that we would be his children forever. And how did he do it? He placed us into his son. That's how he did it. And then the mechanics of being born again and the move of the Holy Spirit and so on. Those are the time frame mechanics, if you would. Predestination is the activity of God assuring that what he has determined before time is carried out in time. You see that? Predestination is God's way of determining what he has determined, uh, carrying out, what he has determined before time to be carried out where? In time. That's what the word predestination means. Aren't you glad we believe in predestination? People hate that word. Why? It is the way God has established to bring us into the kingdom, to bring into fruition in my life and in your life and to my reality and your reality, that which he had determined before the foundation of the world. I have been predestined. What does that mean? I have always been in the heart and mind of God to be a saved man. I was predestined, or I was created for this purpose. We didn't get born, and then God started figuring out, what am I going to do with these people? Who am I going to save? Tammy, I'm going to save jo Jody. No, 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 forget about Jody. Uh, I'm going to save. <laughs> he didn't do that. This is all pre-planned. We better be thankful for this, because ain't none of us would be in heaven if this weren't pre-planned. 
Can you say amen to that? And in the resurrection, we were in him. And not only that, but then we will remain with him forever. What does it mean for us today, this title, the Son of Man? What does it mean for me, for you today? Because God placed us into Christ, the Son of Man, when he took our sin. Well, I didn't quite say it that way. Always in Christ, but in a time frame. You understand the difference between before time. By the way, eternity is not something that God lives in. God created eternity so that we could have eternal life and live in a context with Him. Cre eternity is just part of who God is. God creates eternity. He doesn't live in eternity. Eternity lives in Him, right? You, you see the difference? Eternity was created at the creation, which means this, that that which I have created will continue forever. Well, another day maybe. <laughs> What does it mean for today? Because God, in a time frame, has placed us into Christ when he took our sin and his judgment upon himself to the cross, God now and forever relates to us as his forgiven children. There's no such thing as being, as having any sin whatsoever as unforgiven. Why, Floyd? All of it was in Christ when he died, and all of it was buried. You see, our sin, our sins are just the fruit of the root of fallen nature. Can you get that? We weren't condemned because we sinned. We were condemned because we inherited the corrupt nature in Adam, right? Therefore, we sin because of our nature. The root of the bad, corrupt nature produced the fruit of the sin, Sin in and of itself does not keep me out of heaven. Having a corrupt nature in Adam, if I'm never transferred, keeps me out of heaven. Do we see that? Aren't you glad sin doesn't keep you out of heaven? And so God had to absolutely recreate the old nature and create it into a new nature by completely cleansing it and reworking it and glorifying this new nature. So Jesus has now a glorified nature. He is no longer a creature, uh, sorry, in a, as a human having creaturely weaknesses. He has been glorified. He no longer has the same kinds of weaknesses that we have, although well, I won't go into that about Jesus eternally, but let's just say it this way. He is a glorified man, and Paul says our bodies are going to be make, made unto his glorious body. We're going to have glorious bodies because we have inherited his glorious nature, and this old fallen body has to be given way has to give way to a new recreated body in which the brand new full nature of Christ can live in us for the glory of God. Let me conclude quickly with Colossians 2, 9 through 15. And I want you just to see the emphasis of the Apostle Paul upon not our actions, but upon our position. Position produces product. 
position produces a product. Are you, are, you, are you here today? Billy, what? Position. If you don't have it down, write it down. Our position produces the product of God's work. Murph, you got that? Our position produces the product, or the root produces the fruit. It's always the root of the matter. So look at how much Paul emphasizes position. Verse 9, for in, I'm going to put the Son of Man, because when he says Christ, I'm just changing it, the Son of Man. The whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Verse 10, and you have been filled in the Son of Man, who is the head of all rule and authority. Verse 11, in the Son of Man, you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Twelve, having been buried with, it's still a positional term, isn't it? Christ and, and Son of Man in baptism in which you were also raised with the Son of Man. Thirteen, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive when? With the Son of Man, having forgiven us all trespasses. Why? Because we're in Christ. By canceling out the record of debt that stood against us with his legal demands, thus he set aside nullifying, nailing it to the cross. <clears throat> Verse 15, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them and the Son of Man. The Son of Man is a most wonderful title. Amen. This is why we're saved. And all of this is for one purpose. Let me say it this way. Jesus did not come here for us. We came here for him. Do you think, you see how we think? We emphasize the secondary. Ronnie, he came here for us for secondary. Why did he come here for us? Because we came here, Jerry, for him. We were created for him. Where do I get that? Colossians 1.16. All things were made by him and for him. So we're here today for him. For him. Is he great or not? See you next week.